0: Amen, well I've asked my family to do something I don't think I have ever done in my entire life. I asked them to come up here and sit behind me while I preach. Preaching on the family and on the home this morning. I would not be here today if it wasn't for my family. Backing me, supporting me, holding up my hands, praying for me, I drug them to Africa, drug them back to Greenville, South Carolina, and then drug them up here to Dundalk. They're still with me, amen. Since we got up here and Marissa got married, what's his name down there? And they got one on the way, amen. Take your Bibles, turn please to the book of Psalms. Psalms, chapter 127. We're doing a series on, on Sunday mornings, but I will, I will get back to that tonight, okay? I'll pick back up with the Acts 2 series. I really felt this morning with us uh, emphasizing the families and appreciating and recognizing uh, our Christian school, students, parents, grandparents, and families, really felt like the Lord wanted me to kind of focus on that thought a little bit this morning and so we're gonna turn our hearts to one of my favorite subjects to preach about, and that is the family, the home. I believe, without a doubt, our homes are under attack. Right. Amen. The, the young people of our day are under enormous amount of pressure. Yes, sir. We as parents are under an enormous amount of pressure, right. and I really would like to take the message this morning and ask God to help us uh, as parents to be reminded of the seriousness and the responsibility that we have to raise our children for God. Many of you are already making enormous sacrifices by putting your children into the Christian school. You're paying taxes for the public schools or at the government schools as I call them. They're government brainwashing institutions is what they are. You're paying your taxes for those schools and then you're turning right around on top of that and and paying the tuition. We, we we Every year we sit down and we talk about the tuition and then we, we wanna to try to keep it as affordable as possible. I wanna take care of our teachers and our staff and give them enough to live on. I think a bag of ramen a day is sufficient, but they wanna give them enough to live on. They're not saying amen for some reason, I don't know why. But we we try to find that, strike that balance with taking care of our teachers and our staff and pay the bills and uh, still keep it affordable for you. We don't look at the school as a business. They've heard me say that a thousand times. This is a ministry. It is an extension of our church, which is one reason why we're so tickled for you to be here today because our teachers, school administrator and our teachers, They're there every day trying to pour into your children what we pour into our church from this pulpit on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. The school is an extension of this church. Someone showed me a Facebook uh, screenshot the other day of someone making a comment about another Christian school in our area, and one of the parents was... Trying to get more people to enroll their kids in a school, and they made this statement. And this is not me saying it, this is one of them parents saying this about that school on her Facebook said, if you want to put your children at this school, if you're looking for a private school that's not a Christian school, this is the school you should put them in. And it is supposed to be a Christian school. And I I told my staff, I told Brother Payne, I said, I'd be offended, I'd be hurt beyond repair. If someone referred to our school as a private school, that's not a Christian school. And we have open enrollment here at our school, and we allow families that are not members of our church to put their children in this school uh, for several reasons. One is because we know that not everybody that goes to our church feels the same way uh, as we do, but many do, about their children and protecting them from the socialism and the humanism and the political correct garbage just being shoved down their throats in the public schools, and the agendas, the all the agenda, the agendas, the transgender agendas, and the and the anti-America agenda. And uh, uh, we 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 stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, we sing the national anthem, we're patriotic, we believe the Bible. I know that makes us odd, but that's who we are. That's what we're about. And that's why you put your kids in this school. That's why. That's why you put your kids here. As long as I'm the pastor, that's how it's going to be. We could, run, we could run 10 times more than we're running now. If we dropped a few standards, changed a few rules, put up with a little bit more craziness and nonsense, but we got it like we like it. We got it about where we like it right here. Amen. I was joking with everybody. and They thought I was joking. I was about half serious, half joking. I said, I love expelling kids. <laughs> I said that just to make the kids a little bit nervous. Keep them, keep them a little bit off balance. Because it's, a, it's, a, it's an important thing. It's a serious thing to me. And it is, very, it is very important to me that our school, as much as possible, reflects our church. And it's not always easy to do that. And its believe it or not, it's not always the non-member's kids that are in the principal's office. Many times, it's the principal's kids that are in the principal's office. Amen. (laughs) And the pastor's kids. Help us, Jesus. Here we go. But I really want to stress to you this morning that we believe that the family and the home is worth fighting for. Amen. We believe that. We fight for it in this church. We fight for it in this school. And my prayer is that this message this morning would challenge you to fight for it in your home. Are you in Psalm 127? Would you stand with me, please? It's only five verses, so we'll read them all. Verse number one, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath this quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. I want to preach this morning on this thought: Let God build your house. Right. Father, we ask you now, as we turn our hearts and minds to the Word of God, that you give me. Wisdom, give me discernment. Give me boldness. Give me, Lord, the unction and the anointing that I need to declare the word of God this morning to a group of people, Lord, that without a, that without a doubt need this message. We all need it. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. Before I get into my three points, I've got a couple of things I want to look at by way of introduction. We notice in verse number one the wonder. Notice the wonder. Except the Lord built the house. What I like. I like that thought about the house. He's talking about a house, but obviously in the context of the scripture, he's talking about the home. And to have the opportunity to start and raise a family is a wonderful thing. God instituted the home all the way back in the Garden of Eden. He brought man and woman together. I said he brought a man and a woman together. Amen. And started the family, started the family the first home and it's a wonderful thing to be able to start a family, getting engaged. I remember when we got engaged, we got engaged at church. I was at a revival service at her parents' church, at her dad's church where he pastored and during the invitation, the altar call, Grace and I went down and knelt in front of the pulpit and I pulled my engagement ring out and I proposed to her right in the altar at a revival service in her church. I'm so thankful she said yes because there was a lot of people watching. We got married three months later right there at Antioch Baptist Church. I don't believe in long engagements. Hey, Amen. If you're going to get married, get married. Yeah. We got married, and and it was seven, eight months later, we found out Marissa was on the way. Am I right, Mama? Something like that. Six months, she says, something like that. I'll never forget, when she walked in, and she says, we're going to have a baby. And I just kind of stood there and just blinked a bunch of times. and. She jumped up and down like a little schoolgirl and clapped her hands. We were so excited. God blessed our home with Marissa, Marissa Grace. And then along came Spencer Dean. We should have stopped, but we kept going. And then Stuart was born. First two were born at home. With a midwife. My wife's tough. She looks all sweet and gentle and everything. She's tough, trust me. And then Stuart was born. They said he was gonna be a girl, but he was, he was a boy. They were wrong. Don't trust the sonograms. They're wrong sometimes. He was born uh, in Washington, Georgia. The miraculous story how God spared his life. My wife went into labor while having a sonogram and had to have emergency C-section. And Stuart was in the hospital for about a week. Uh, they wouldn't even give us a 50-50 chance that he would live, but he did. He was a little runt when he was born, but he's made up for that. <laughs> then we went to Africa, it was missionaries in Cali. Where's Cali? Cali was born over there. I call her my little African-American. <laughs> yeah. She was born in Bloemfontein, South Africa on a Sunday morning. And uh, the Susutu people called her Hanyani, Pulani Pulani means rain. It was raining Sunday morning. And Hanyani means tiny, means little. So her name in Sasutu is Hanyani Pulani. Amen. And then Zane, 10 years after Callie was born, I was standing in the kitchen making a cup of coffee and my wife walked by and said, we're having another one. I said, cool. <laughs> I was kind of numb at this point. Amen. I was just used to it. So we've got four that's graduated from school and we got one in third grade. Starting all over again. But what a joy, what a, what a wonderful thing it is to have a family and to have a home and then to get the wonderful news a few weeks ago at the Sunday morning table that we were having, a, uh, that, that Marissa and Nathan's gonna have one in May, Lord willing, we well, am excited about that. And it's just the wonder of having a home. We see the wonder, we see the work In verse number one, he talks about building the house. He talks about laboring. He talks about building. In this verse, there's a lot of work that goes into having a Christian home and a godly home. And I'm not even gonna talk about the physical labor. I'm not gonna talk about the cooking and the washing and the cleaning and the ironing and all those other four-letter words, amen. I'm talking about the spiritual aspects of raising the godly children. It's, It's work, it's labor. I come from a building background and you don't build a house by accident. It has to be done in a very systematic way. It has to be done deliberately. You have to pay a lot of attention to detail. It's tedious, it's difficult, but it's worth it. We see the wonder, we see the work, but we also see the waste in verse number one. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. That's God's words, not mine. The word vain literally means emptiness, nothingness. It means worthlessness, vanity. Without God building a home is a waste of time. It is a waste of valuable resources. It is a waste of amazing opportunities to influence the next generation. I want to challenge you this morning. Let God build your house. Let God help you and partner with you in building a family that will bring honor and glory to him. The secret of being a successful parent is letting God do it. I wish I could stand up here this morning and tell you I've got it figured out, but I don't have it figured out. I don't know how many people ask me to write a book on parenting. I said, are you kidding me? That'd be the most uh, plagiarized book in history. I'd have to copy and paste everybody else's stuff. I can't write a book on how to be a successful parent. I'm still trying. I'm still working on it. This morning while I was working on this message, God brought a dear saint of God to my heart, to my mind, Dr. Don Green, pastor of the same church for 60 plus years in in Lansing, Michigan. I called Dr. Don Green this morning. He's in his 90s, and when I called him, his wife said, said, could you just give me a few minutes, and I'm trying to help him down the hall, help him get into a chair. This is a man that used to preach in in the pulpits my dad pastored in down south. This is a man that stood in the aisle of the camp meeting in Rosaca, Georgia, and put his hands on Grace and I when we were engaged and prayed for God to bless our marriage and bless our home and bless our ministry and bless our children. I'll never forget that as long as I live. And I I called him this morning. He said, Brother Stacy, it's so good to hear from you. He said, why are you calling me? I said, I'm working on a message on the family and on the home, and I thought about you. What a blessing and what an example you've been to me. Every one of his sons are preachers. Every one of his daughters are preachers' wives and mission, missionaries, and, and, and he told me, he said, I'm, I can't believe I can't go to church anymore. He said, I'm sitting here in this chair. I can hardly walk. He said, my son is pastoring the church. I pastored for so many years. He said, I'm gonna pray for you this morning when you stand to preach. I thought about it and the example of that godly man that raised godly children. And I can stand up here and just give example after example, but can I tell you something? The secret to being a godly parent and raising godly children is you've got to let God build the house. Amen. Let's just be honest. We don't know what we're doing. Right. Three things I want to give you quickly this morning. Number one, write this down. We see in verse number three, the Bible says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb, Is his reward. I want to notice the reward of your children will be precious. When you let God build the house, the reward will be precious. That word heritage, I looked it up, it literally means a possession, a property, an inheritance. That is something that God has entrusted into us. Children is something that God has given to us to steward on his behalf, once parents understand the stewardship matter of having children, it is a precious thing. I don't know about you, but when I have something that belongs to somebody else, I'm extra careful, extra careful, I don't wanna, I don't wanna hurt it, I don't want anything to happen to it, if I borrow something of somebody's, I want to make sure I give it back to them and I give it back to them in better condition than it was in. I don't want to take advantage of somebody's generosity. Can I tell you something? When you and I as parents understand that the children that he's given us, he gave it to us, they are an heritage of the Lord. It's a stewardship matter. These are not just my kids to do whatever I want to do with. They're God's children that he entrusted me to raise for him for his honor and glory. What, a, what an awesome responsibility. But the reward of having children when God builds the house is precious. It goes on to say in verse three that children are in the heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb are his reward. Having children should sober us. Having little, little human beings, little lives to influence And to teach and to train and mentor should put a sobering, sobering atmosphere in each and every one of our hearts. In in Genesis chapter number five, the Bible says in verse 21 that Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. The next verse says, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. I can't help but believe that At the age of 65, God blessed Enoch with a son. And when God gave Enoch a son, there was something that triggered him to seek after God. There was something inside of him that realized, oh my goodness, I better take it up a notch. I better get my act together. I've got a a son now and I need to be a good dad. I need to be a, a godly, righteous example to my son. And the Bible says that after he begat Methuselah, he walked with God. Nothing as sobering as having children looking down in that little bassinet, looking down in that little baby bed and seeing that child there and realize they are looking to you for spiritual guidance. They're looking to you for everything, food, clothing, protection, but more importantly, they're looking to you for spiritual leadership and guidance. The reward of children is precious when you let God build the house I know so many people, the way they talk about their kids, like they can't wait to get away from them. They hate going home to them. They hate being around them. Always looking for somebody else to push them off on so they can go live their life. I don't understand that. Because when you let God build the house, your children are precious. They're an heritage of the Lord and they are rewards. Everybody still with me? We see not only the reward of your children can be precious, but, but number two, when you let God build the house, the response of your children will be powerful. Look at verse number four. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. What an analogy. Three things I want to notice about these children being likened unto arrows in verse number four. We see the possessing of the arrows, here's what hit me this morning. I don't know how many times I've preached from these verses. I don't know how many times I've preached along these lines from this chapter, but it says there's arrows in the hand, in the hand. The possessing of the arrow, and here's what I thought about. The arrow is only in the hands of that man for just a short time, just a short time. You think, oh, I got my kids for 18 years. I've got them for 20 years. I've got them for 21 years. It's going to fly by. Just like that, they're going to be gone. Just like that, they're going to be graduated from school and buying their own vehicles, and they're going to be working, and you're not going to see them hardly at all, and you're going to treasure the few moments that you have around the dinner table the couple times a week that you can get everybody rounded up and have a meal together. It flies by just like that. So many children today are starving for love and attention from their parents. Heard about the little boy when his dad walked in from work and said, Daddy, how much money do you make in an hour? Daddy said, even your mama don't know that. Don't ask me that. He said, Daddy, how much do you make in an hour? He said, I told you don't ask me that. Finally, the little boy insisted. Daddy, how much do you make an hour? He said, I make $20 an hour and I leave me alone. He said, Daddy, will you loan me $10? He says, is that why you asked me how much money I made so you to ask me some, for some money? Put your pajamas on and go to bed. I'm tired, I ain't got time for this. He sat down in his recliner, started watching TV after a few minutes. He got to feeling bad. He talked to his little boy. He went up there and sat down on the edge of the bed. He said, are you asleep? He said, no, sir. He said, Here's the $10 you asked me for. Little boy was so excited, he jumped up, reached up under his pillow, pulled out 10, one little $1 bills, all crumpled up, and he gave them to his daddy. He said, here's $20. Can I have an hour of your time, daddy? I thought to myself, I wonder how many kids would pay just to spend a little bit of time with their parents. Mamas and daddies too busy for their children. They've got their own life, they've got their own hobbies, they've got their own preoccupying things that are just taking their time while their children are growing up basically alone, unloved, and unmentored. I'm telling you this morning, the arrows in the hands of that mighty man, those arrows are only in that man's hands for a short time. Don't, Don't waste a single day. Don't waste a single moment. We see the possessing of the arrows. We see the potential of the arrows. That arrow will go wherever you point it. I went hunting last year, the year before last, two years ago with Brother Rolf. Where's, where's Brother Rolf? Wave at me, Brother Rolf, you up in the balcony? That's a deer killing machine right there. <laughs> <coughs> he took me hunting. And I had, uh, this was before I got, the church bought me that crossbow for my birthday. I was still using that compound. And he'd been trying to teach me how to use a compound. I deer hunted for years down south. We used deer rifles down there. Hey man, if it's brown, it's down. I can get her done with a rifle. You give me an arrow, that deer can walk up in front of me and go, nah, 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 and he's safe as he can possibly be. But I had, a, I had five arrows. And I crawled up in that deer stand and Brother Ralph brother, brother said, I'm gonna put you right on, them. I'm gonna put you on some deer. He said, I'm gonna go over yonder and I'm gonna put you right here. There are all deer tracks everywhere. I got up in that stand, I'm sitting there and here come a deer come out of the woods. It was right, right before dark. I mean, he had a rocking chair on his head. Well, it may have only been a six pointer but it looked big to me. And he walked right out about, about 15 yards from me and started grazing. I pulled that arrow out and stuck it in there. Boy, I never had had buck fever before. Boy, I was shaking like this. I was hyperventilating. I thought, buddy, this deer's fixing to go to meet the Lord. I just pulled that drawstring drink back. Deer just kept eating. <laughs> and I'm looking, I'm trying to, how'd I miss that big old deer right there? I pulled out another arrow, I got it on my string, and (laughs) he just kept on eating. (laughs) Didn't even look up. Man, I'm not exaggerating, I'm telling you the truth. I got a third arrow, I put it in there, I pulled it back about two inches, and my finger slipped off of it, and it went (laughs) right out over my deer stand and right down in the bushes. And I'm leaning over looking in the bushes going, you kidding me? He just kept eating. I got the fourth arrow, pulled it out, put it in the boat, and I thought, I'm gonna get him this time, son. I mean, I've just got it right there. He just took one step, looked up, and he kept eating. I'm down to one arrow. I've never felt so stupid in my whole life. I said, I will never tell anybody about this. And now look at me. My last arrow, George, I pull it out. I put it on my drawstring. I pull it back about three inches, and my fingers are so sweaty. They slipped off of it, and the arrow went right out over there and just stuck in the dirt. And I'm sitting up in the tree. That deer's still grazing, and it occurred to me, I'm done hunting. (laughs) I don't have any arrows. I sat there for about 10 minutes trying to get up the courage to call Brother Roth and said, um, We might as well go. He said, did you get one? I said, no. I said, I missed him. He said, you had five arrows. I said, I know how to count. Come get me. (laughs) Those arrows went, oh, by the way, I know y'all, I said, what did you forget to do? I forgot to look through the little people. That's important. Those arrows went right where I pointed them. Your kids will go right where you point them. Right. Tiger Woods' dad taught his little boy to love golf. Tiger Woods was on Johnny Carson's show at the age of four doing trick shots. Yeah. You can thank daddy for that. No matter how late it was, every time James Brown was on television, Michael Jackson's mama would go wake him up, park him in front of the television, and as a little boy, he decided that's what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. He started singing on stage at the age of four, started singing with his family at the age of six, and he was signed by Motown Records at the age of 10. You can thank mama for that. Whatever you point your children at, that's probably what they're gonna end up doing. We see the, thirdly, the power of the arrows. Look at what it says in verse number four, as arrows are in the hands of a, what's the next two words? Mighty Mighty man. The arrows are not really all that mighty. They're just arrows. It's the mighty man. Pointing, pulling, the one that's doing the propelling. It's the mighty man that puts that arrow where it's supposed to be. Once it's turned loose, once we let go of it, it'll go where it's pointed. Are y'all getting this this morning? The arrow is in the control of the mighty man until he turns it loose. What a sobering reality that I and my wife We have an unbelievable, we have an absolutely unbelievable amount of control for a certain point over how our children end up. Now listen to me, I'm not minimizing the private, personal will and choices of grown kids. I'm talking about raising children. I'm talking about teaching them when they're young what's right and what's wrong. These mobs in the streets, these mobs that are kicking out the windshields of police cars, burning stores and buildings and looting buildings, stealing flat screens TVs and Nike shoes because they feel like they've been done wrong. I've been done wrong a lot in my life, but it's never motivated me to go steal a flat screen TV. I'm gonna tell you what the problem is. There was a lack of child training. Mamas and daddies are the ones that need a whooping. Come on now, say amen or owe me my mom and daddy had seen me doing that on television, they'd have beat me. My daddy would have hit a knot on my head so big it took a gallon of iodine to paint it. You know I'm telling the truth. I didn't act like that growing up. I liked my teeth in my mouth. My mama would have slapped me so hard, by the time I quit rolling, my clothes would have been out of style. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm saying that's what would have happened to me. Number three, write this down. Not only do we see the reward of the children will be precious and the response will be powerful, but thirdly, the reputation of your children will be priceless. Look at verse number five. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. I was glad that day I had five heirs. I was wishing I'd have taken about 10 up there. The more, the merrier I say. I'm talking about kids now, not heirs. Come on now. Preacher, I've had one. You ought to know after this one, I ain't having no more. I'll tell you something. Your kids will be fine if you'll train them and let God help you build the house. They'll be an awesome, awesome blessing. I've said it many times. You don't child proof your house, you house proof your child. We left the knickknacks on the coffee table. Amen just told them don't touch that, don't do that. Teach them the meaning of the word, no. Watch what happens. Happy is the man that hath this quiver full of them. I'm talking about now when you let God build the house. If you don't let God build the house, all bets are off. But when you let God build the house, happy is the man that hath this quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. They'll be priceless in their courage. They shall not be ashamed, talking about the children. Not the man, not the parents. Happy is the man that hath this quiver full of them, talking about children, errors, they shall not be ashamed. The children will not be ashamed. So many children today suffer from an inferiority complex when it comes to spiritual things because they've not been mentored and taught by their parents about spiritual things they got courage when it comes to baseball or basketball. They've got courage and boldness when it comes to karate or when it comes to ballet. But when it comes to church and spiritual things, they drop in a shell because they hadn't been taught that. It hasn't been emphasized in the home like it should. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You teach your children The word of God, it will give them courage and boldness. They'll not be ashamed. They'll be priceless in their courage. It'll be priceless in their communication. The Bible says in verse five, they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak. What about that? I love to listen to children talk. I I love to listen to children speak, talk about spiritual things. It's a blessing and encouragement to me. Wasn't it a blessing hearing these kids get up and saying, thank you Lord for your blessings on me. Boy, didn't, didn't that just melt your heart? Something about these kids on Wednesday night. We've got the kids choir sings every Wednesday night. We've got a team choir that sings every Wednesday night. Watch these children get up and sing these songs and do these motions and realize the power in those songs and the message there and how that it trickles into their little hearts and minds and how that it will affect their life. That's powerful. It's powerful. It's a shame some kids learn to cuss for they learn to quote Bible verses. Come on now. When I was a kid, if you cussed, you got your mouth washed out with soap. Priceless in their communication. In Matthew 21, those little children were in the street singing Hosanna to the Son of David. The Bible says the children were crying in the temple saying Hosanna to the Son of David. Jesus said, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. God wants children to learn to praise the Lord. And they can learn. You give a two-year-old an iPhone, they can hack it. That's right. Give a a three-year-old an iPad, he can hack NASA. That's right. They can sing the jingles of the commercials. They can learn Bible verses, and they can learn Christian songs, too. Priceless in their courage. I'm in verse 5. Priceless in their communication. They'll be priceless in their confrontation. They shall speak with the enemies, in the gate. What about that? By the way, this conversation is not one of fellowship. This is a this is a conversation of confrontation. They're having to come to Jesus meeting with their enemies. They're laying down the law. The gate—that's the place of authority. They're meeting with the enemy in the gate and saying, "This is how it's going to be." You know, we need young people today that know how to stand up for what's right. We need young people today that are not intimidated, not afraid. That will look the world in the face and say, I'm gonna live for Jesus no matter what. And this is why I'm gonna do it because my Bible teaches me this. My mom and dad showed me this. My pastor showed me this. My youth pastor showed me this. My Sunday school teacher showed me this. And it bolsters their courage to confront the enemy in the gate. Sometimes the enemy has to be confronted. Amen. Sometimes you have to just stand up to them. I wanna encourage you this morning as parents, let God build your house. Don't try to do it by yourself. I'm telling, you from, I'm telling you from my own personal, I have made more mistakes, I've made more, and I'm not being super humble this morning, I'm being honest with you. It's a miracle that all of my kids are still in church. Many times as I blew it as a parent. I mean, I blew it royally. I've had to go to them weeping and saying, I'm sorry. I'm gonna try to do better. But I can say this, me and mama did one thing, we let God help us. We're still dependent on God, ain't we, Grace? We're still dependent on God to help us. I can't do it by myself and you can't do it by yourself. You need God to help you build your house, raise up godly children. Calvary Baptist Church has a Christian school because we love children. We have a church because we love mamas and daddies that wanna raise godly children. Amen. I challenge you this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed. Our musicians are coming. God may be right now just speaking to your heart. Would you you feel led right now to just maybe get your family by the hand, walk down the aisle, kneel down here in this altar, and pray around your family in just a few minutes and say, God, help me. Help me have a godly home. You say, preacher, I didn't come from a godly home. My dad was this, my mom was this and that, and I didn't come. Hey, you can start a godly heritage. You may not have come from one, but you can start one.